Hi, you're listening to Estranged, and uh, well, this is Adrian speaking, just in case you've never heard the podcast before, and Helen is my co-host. You want to say hi? <laughs> Hello. I was going to say, you know, say like, this is, this is Adrian speaking. I was like, well, as in, we sound so similar. You could, um, we could basically be the same person. Us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I have a very feminine voice. <laughs> um, I'm uh, in a hotel room and I'm recording in a cupboard and I actually watched, um, don't fuck with cats like three times, obviously, cause it's that intriguing. <laughs> and I'm like slightly scared. You watched the whole thing three times. I did. <laughs> it's so good, right? What did you like um, about it? Just like I think just the pace. I know, but it was good. just it was so ju- ju- like that. The whole thing is just so surreal and so that that particular. Obviously, like, you know, it's terrible to say, and obviously they make that kind of corny message at the end. But like, oh yeah, murders are kind of really compelling. Obviously, and then um, as yeah. in like you get one finds them interesting, and then that guy just amazingly. Odd, that's yeah. crazy yeah yeah, yeah. and like the, like the the amount of um pre- preparation yeah 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 i just thought the the, the patronizing end was hilarious this is fucking retarded yeah. because like they're talking to the to the camera and they're just like and you you're watching this movie it's just like you fucking made the movie like you decided you spent like three it. years making yeah. this documentary i'm just actually um so weird. my my um Microphone, I think it's going to be peaking quite a lot. I'm using a different computer, so I'm just going to see if I can like turn it down a bit. I think I have a voice that like goes really loud and really quiet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. With your, uh, <laughs> the the guffaws, you know. <laughs> yeah, my nervous laughter. Um, <laughs> oh, did I, I did a bunch of uh, Instagram stories. You don't have Instagram, Adrian. No, right? I don't have no, anything. Don't. Um, asking people what they wanted us to talk about. Um, oh, I just yeah. did interesting things. Interesting things. I, should I read you a couple? Yeah, okay. Okay, so some of them, it's been more than a day, so some of them have been... So I actually got a couple asking about the royal... To talk about the royal family. Obviously, there's been the um, new developments mm. in the British royal family for a, n- a number of reasons and why people find it so intriguing. Um, yeah. Black Mirror. Somebody actually asked about uh, the greatest showman. So I was like, Hello. We've done it already. <laughs> yeah. um, I got a bunch That's of so funny that somebody ones. would ask that. We just kind of did it as a funny thing. Um, I know, but it is funny that, like, I think people do have feelings about it. Um, yeah. Then punk, the arts in general, the arts in Ireland, Billie Eilish. I feel like I just don't have oh, any expertise okay. about Billie Eilish. Yeah. Um, I'll take that Creek. one. Okay, we can talk about Billie Eilish. Have you, I haven't have seen you ever Shit's seen Shit's Creek? Creek? No, no, I haven't seen I've it. heard it's good. Yeah. I've watched the pilot, that's all. Oh, yeah, woke ideology in Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, actually, a lot of people like liked that one. Yeah. Um, stand-up comedy. Okay. Um, yeah, things like that. There was, I think there were more fashion was one. Friends. So. Friends, the, the, the show, or just like friends in general? Friends, friends, the show, friends, the show. Oh, okay. Should As we? In, like, it's revival on Netflix. What if we just do the next episode, like, addressing all those questions, and that's the episode? Okay. Well, there you go. Let's do it. But keep Sounds them coming. Good. If you're listening, just keep them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, So, yeah, today, this is your idea, Adrian, and I think it's a good one, actually. Partly because I think these are two films that 
don't appear to have a lot in common, but I think actually do. Um, And they are uh, Midsummer and Parasite, Mm -hmm. which weirdly still hasn't come out in the UK. Um, Parasite. I saw it in like early November in the States and it's still not being released in cinemas in the UK. Hell, it wasn't even released in my shithole country, Mexico. <laughs> it was released on, on Christmas Day. Yeah, I have no idea why. Um, I think it's probably stupid. I mean, a there's probably a thing. reason. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think you can you can get like a DVD from Europe and watch it, mm-hmm. or a Blu-ray or something. But so it still hasn't been released here. So anyway, yeah. but it's been. I mean, it's. I just. I. I don't. I don't understand it because. Yeah. Um. Anyway, shall we do Parasite first? Yeah, okay. So good one. So uh right before we started recording, uh you were talking a little bit about how you know, rich people are not really like in the movie. Do you wanna just like touch on that? Because there's like <laughs> Okay, well the, the 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 people in the movie, the family just like you know, you have to have some kind of empathy for them. Or at least that's what yeah. they're trying to do. Um but yeah. you've had some experience or just like witnessed rich people uh that are that are not like that. I know, so um, it's it's an interesting one. We're talking a little bit about, about the demographics of the UK and sort of like, um, I put it like, former, what we would call, I guess, what like people might recognise the word posh. Yeah. And obviously um, in the changing economy of the last 50, 60 years since kind of like globalisation and stuff, a lot of our... Um, UK economy is based around international wealth because we have the kind of financialization of of London, city of London, and stuff like that. Um, so we have called sort of like a lot of. I mean, you see, Downton Abbey is kind of a good example of like the <laughs> the like descent yeah. of the of the like kind of whatever British old class system. And so yeah, and there's a lot of people of my background who like totally aren't wealthy at all. Yeah. Uh, anymore, but maybe in previous generations, like, might have been, and um, sort of uh, so experiences might make you like w- see wealth or like um, be privy to it, but not actually have it yourself. So it kind of, and actually, um, yeah, because it's kind of a, I don't want to like be too personal about it, but uh, no, no, but just there's like there's of, um, a, I mean, you can even just kind of see it on the streets or whatever. But yeah, no. Well, you go to like somewhere like London is very like a. It's very, it's like global wealth. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people who might have been well-educated at university. I know in the US there's sort of like, um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, w- I won't talk too much about it. But yeah, no, so you kind of witness it in various ways. Well, the, way, anyway, that I, the way that I've seen it is just like, um, okay, so when you're in the orbit of mm-hmm. people that are very wealthy and... Mm-hmm. And you're not necessarily like considered their equal. You are. Yeah. It does. It does. It's that doesn't mean that you're going to become just like a neutral person. Like you're mm-hmm. either somebody that they consider equal or immediately someone that can just like service them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's like a I think there's a gap there between like how they're portrayed portrayed in in the movie um, mm-hmm. and how it is in real life. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's I think there's sort of a couple of reasons. So I think from a narrative perspective, as you say, like they have to have a sort of victim victim position position in terms of like the like the violence and the kind of um, farce yeah. of the whole thing. But also, I think that I wonder if that's yeah. To, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I think that like the main thing about their kind of 
vacuousness and mm-hmm. um, kind of like, I would say, uh, they're just kind of like blank screens because the agency really is with the working class characters. Like they are the ones, they are the dynamic ones. They are the ones with whom the audience has to identify. Yeah. Um, and I actually kind of think it, at first when I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's a bit weird that these rich people are like, she's so sweet, the mother. But actually, <laughs> I think it kind of um, theoretically makes sense because in a certain way, we, we had, there's a kind of like a tendency to like, you know, hate on billionaires, which I think is like obviously legitimate, but it's not really the billionaire's that are the issue, it's the system that's created the billionaires. So I think the film is really about this class system. And I think it's actually correct to maybe say that it's not the rich people's fault. It's the system overall and the rich, just like the, they're like bobbing along dumbly. Well, I mean, it's not, (laughs) you know, things that have risen to this, you know, symptoms, basically. Well, okay, so, It's not it's not somebody's fault that they become that they become rich, but it is somebody's fault that they continue to accumulate once they're rich. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the thing is, yeah, no, absolutely. And we, we should have a system that doesn't allow it to happen. Yeah, definitely. Because but, I don't think um Yeah. Not being a liberal, I don't believe in uh <laughs> the fault the like constant need to position responsibility with the individual and i think that's like a problem with the neoliberal era and i think we're responsible for un- for our unconscious yeah but i don't necessarily think we are like un- responsible for things that are actual structural issues yeah no and, and the other thing is that like if you became rich a lot of it is just probably out of luck Unless it's like an inheritance. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is also luck. It's an accident of birth. Sure, yeah. Um, But yeah, there's like a, I think there's a, I don't know, there's there's a lot of things that have to align themselves in order for somebody to become a billionaire, you know? Yeah. And it's basically like, you know, you're making money while you're sleeping. And that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not a character of the, of the working class. Um, it's sort yeah. of just like I mean, I guess it's like the Rontier thing. Yeah, no, it just sort of embodies like the 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 nonstop productivity of capitalism, and mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like a weird sort of uh, <laughs> body horror thing, where it's just like a human being becomes one with that sort of sleepless production. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, the and I do kind of also like the the in terms of the wooden upper class people is their cluelessness, you mm-hmm. know, the cluelessness of the actual when the floods are happening. Yeah. And they're basically covered in shit from like the overflowing toilets and the whole, you know, motif of like the, they smell bad, the working class smell yeah. bad, but they have no, you know, they're completely removed from the actual reality of the grit and grime of like most people's lives. And I think um, there's a lot of. Uh, yeah, because they have to travel a fucking hour and a half from like the outskirts of the city and like walk in the sun yeah. and everything. I mean, that happens all the time here in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, and um, the sort of complete cluelessness. I think um, with it, you know, we we tend that de- disavowal is a is a big feature of capitalism, mm-hmm. and when we talk about um, 
kind of the scapegoat mechanism, which I think is a clear, like kind of clear in the society um, that's visible in Midsummer, um, and disavow basically in liberalism and under the capitalist conditions, we tend to think that we're completely free, but they're like what is scapegoated or what is is basically disavowed. So we don't see the children mining cobalt in the Congo. Yeah. Whereas I think we've talk, talked about this a million times, but in before globalization, um, and they, when this is not talking in any moral sense about globalization, it is just what it is. Um, and every system has issues. Um, but, you know, the children working in the mines at the doorstep of the, middle class people the bourgeois class that was making money like things had to change because it was so visible but now we don't even see it yeah um we're like our working class doesn't even have jobs anymore yeah now that's so, so interesting because like right now that you're talking about just like something that can't even be seen um mm. so a lot of like wealthy people have houses that have basements um yeah. and So basically, like the, the life of a billionaire is is basically a life of a hoarder. I mean, not just a hoarder of yeah. money, but just a a hoarder of material things in general. Like, for example, there's a lot of people yeah. that are like collectors of like old shit, you know, like uh, weird historical mm -hmm. artifacts, and this is like all over their houses. Um, but I think it's interesting that in the movie, there's a literal like repression that is architectural to the house, and yeah. I think it's interesting yeah. that there's like this. There's this blockage between the top floors and the basement or the the, the, mm -hmm. the tunnels in the bottom. Uh, there's this yeah. like f piece of furniture that is extremely heavy <laughs> and they mm -hmm. can't move it. It's almost just like, you know, you need a you need like a like a second object to be able to manipulate its its position. Uh, but yeah. right now that we were talking about in the beginning of like if you're in the orbit of somebody that is wealthy and they don't consider you an equal, you're like a servant and there's no in between. Um, I wonder if that's a repression itself. Like the fact that there's nothing in between uh, has to do with guilt because that is sort of like the, you know, 99% of the people that you meet as a working class person is just like equals, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So that's the way that, that life works or it functions in that way. And that's like, mm -hmm. you connect with people in that way. Um, but I wonder if that needs to be like repressed when you're like a wealthy person, because it just, it's too much. And there's not really a lot of ground in common with like working class people or whatever. I think it's interesting, this whole disavowal thing, because part of the reason way in order to come overcome, um, the kind of toxicity of our system is to is to bring it all to the surface. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I say like, oh, I don't think it's rich people's fault, I think it's the structure. I think part of the reason why I say that is I think it's important to bring down the defenses yeah. of the rich. Um, I've heard in a different podcast they talk about they, we need more class traitors. And I, I think that's true. You know, like obviously like the facile um, conservative critique of Bernie Sanders is, oh, he's a millionaire. It's like, yeah, but he's not a he's not Jeff Bezos. You might have like $3 million, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, sure. but it is, I think it's really important to like bring down the defenses because I don't, um, I think, yeah, there has for, in order for there to be this amount of inequality. And no, that's I mean, more like a Republican talking point. Just, it's meaningless yeah, yeah, exactly. completely. It's completely meaningless, but we need, I think we need to like, um, definitely bring issues to the surface. And it's funny. I think a big disavowal of the class conflict 
and issues at play at the moment is plastered over by woke ideology. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, yeah. I know um, there's a lot of uh, people talk about left-wing identity politics. Well, I don't call it left-wing identity I call it liberal identity politics. And right, yeah. because I, for me, the left is the universal position, that's it. And then the right is um, the universal, but basically understanding that contemporary, rarely like the the contradiction of our system is, is the class contradiction or object, as in material um as in workers not being paid enough for their work basically yep. um, but um yeah that's great the, what did you think um, about the, oh sorry go ahead no i was just going to say that, that that the um i do find it difficult to understand when certain um quote unquote leftists talk of, like are more in favor of one identity politics over the other as if oh no this identity politics like for me it's all bad but the reason why i find woke ideology so difficult is that it is justifying and disavowing class contradiction. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that right now, uh, with the whole uh, uh, Senator in Snake, Elizabeth Warren, did that whole thing mm -hmm. about... Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, that Bernie Sanders said that a woman couldn't be president mm -hmm. or he didn't believe it or whatever. Um, what? Yeah, and, and there's a lot of people on... on on Twitter and shit saying like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, believe women um, as if women don't don't ever lie, you know. Uh, so I think that the problem is not so much that there aren't sort of like identity groups that haven't been oppressed because that's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's there's a sort of there's a sort of like downfall when it comes to mm -hmm. becoming in love with your own oppression, which is Absolutely. that you mistake oppression for uh, virtue, virtue, and like Absolutely. because you've which been in oppressed, which itself becomes it, a commodity. Yeah, because you've been oppressed, it means that you don't lie. It means that you're a more virtuous mm -hmm. person. It means that you mm -hmm. need to be heard uh, on top of other people or whatever. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just kind of nuts. Well, I have several several things to say in relation to that. The first one, I think, is. Um, Zizek talks about this a lot, you know, the hypochondriac who loves their disease. Mm -hmm. um, and the trouble is you can't heal unless you understand that you can have both things be true at the same time, that there are unfairnesses yeah. and that one wants to be libidinally invested in it as a way of, um, for cultural capital. Mm -hmm. um, and the only way to overcome it is to actually present the facts. Um, the other thing I think is, you, you know, Bernie says this a lot, like um, class becomes a conduit through which to explain like all kinds of different historical oppressions. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think that there's um, like a, I, don't, I hope I'm not butchering the concept or whatever, but there's like this, Lacan talks about the, the, the not all, and mm -hmm. which is feminine. Um, but the the whole point is that even though males have been sort of in 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 a position in which they have power or they control mm -hmm. m more influence or whatever um they're still not male um yeah they're still not the all you know they're not mm -hmm. they're not sort of like a like a like a position in which you can enjoy oneness um it, yeah. it, that doesn't exist but i think that by ident what what is meant by identity politics in under capitalism it's like 
ensuring that the male sort of oneness exists or the myth of it still exists and that yeah. it's attainable instead of just admitting that oh actually Absolutely. you know powerful men are pathetic instead of we want to be like powerful men and i guess this is a couple of things just came to my head when you said that like so yeah the, the capitalism wants us to believe that there's a non-castrated other as yeah. in daddy's got his you know yeah his phallus or whatever um but that you know we have to understand in order for us to overcome uh our relation fantastical relation to the lost object which basically is how capitalism psychically functions is to understand that the other is divided mm-hmm. um the other thing i was going to say about it was um Damn. Well, I, you know, interesting you say about, um, you know, that women can't lie question or she told her truth and that's what matters and men oh, lie. Yeah, my truth. And women that's, don't. that's hilarious. One, one thing that I find um, that this film does really well is that, yeah, uh, the working class can be violent and angry and resentful and messy and has all kinds of different energies. They're not angels. And actually the quote unquote angels are the the rich people you know they're they're the ones without and i think that kind of gets it right it's like part of being a person is admitting or not is is not repressing any part and actually it's very infantilizing and wrong to think that any one group is special it's complete orientalism (laughs) and actually so this film is sort of like racist against rich people which is completely Mm -hmm. correct (laughs) in a way yeah 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 Um, I thought it was as so in the, funny the racist because... position being the orientalist position. Yeah. As in oh, yeah, dehumanizing yeah. the other because they are in some way some, you know, fetishized perfection of something. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love that. I was just, uh, there was some point <laughs> I was, was going to make as well, but... No, I just quickly, I was remembering because uh, Will Meneker from Chapel Trap House, they released yeah. an episode today and they were saying how suddenly a, a bunch of liberals are becoming... Um, Jordan Peterson-esque characters because they're saying that uh, Elizabeth Warren shouldn't be called a snake uh, because they, you know, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a mythical figure that, like, yeah, it's uh, from thousands of years ago. It's just, uh, so just, like, saying that, like, it represents, like, sort of, like, chaotic nature of, like, women. I thought that was hilarious. They're, like, oh my embracing God. But you know, now, but, like, I, I do, I've always said they are two sides of the same coin. Like, he, you know... Uh, I, I think there's a, a, a critique to be made that there's this, um, well, first, you know, that he obviously doesn't understand psychoanalysis at all, mm-hmm. but um, that there's a sort of like identity forming around kind of traditional European modes of historical whatever. Yeah, narrative. Yeah. Manned, you know, and, I, and, and identity, you know, the thing is, it's like, it's sort of like I, um, creating this sort of like, a wrong interpretation of like quote unquote the scientific method and then like turning that into some kind of identity whereas the scientific method has nothing to do with anything as in it's just like laying bare it's like laying bare what is yeah. and preventing disavowal basically yeah, yeah, yeah. of what is yeah that's great um, yeah. so what do you think about like the idea of like resentiment and stuff like that in relation to Parasite um well it went a bit far didn't it um yeah. At the end, it's just like, you know, the, there's this whole question of the smell of the, yeah. the working class people. And I don't know. It's just um, at the end, there's like this whole like murder scene and everything. And I just thought, 
I don't know, it made sense on some level, but I, I just kept on wondering like if there was any other way that it could have gone. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? But how is I, resentment not a possibility when, for example, natural causes? So, so like, there's a scene where there's like a like a rain rainstorm, and mm-hmm. it affects them both in a very, very, very different way. Like, one of yeah. them is just like, oh, it's fun, and the ch- the child could go outside and like sleep sleep in this tent and everything in the middle of the storm. And that means for the working class family that it's just like, or their houses. I think it's interesting also that they live in a subterranean sort of house anyway, sort of like Mm -hmm. the other family uh, in in the basement. I just thought that was interesting. But yeah, it's just like it affects them. So when, when natural causes which are supposed to basically affect everybody in some way uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't affect them at all and there's actually this payoff where they are like having sex and like having fun and whatever uh it's yeah. just incredible like how can resentment not be like harvested through those kinds of like happenings or events i know because i guess the thing is actually technically like the he- potentially the healthy response is the like massive the violent outburst you know <laughs> Yeah, as in they're not repressing their resentment, but I guess like resentimon comes in, like in the Nietzschean sense comes when it's the same thing of the hypochondriac and the disease or the like l- lover suspecting the partner of an affair and he is actually having an affair, but like being totally like wrapped up libidinally in the affair. Yeah. Um, but I so talking about like societal structures and how that kind of functions. Um, there's been a lot in the news in the UK about the royal family. Mm-hmm. And I have like so many different opinions about the royal family and like how it functions societally in the UK. Okay. And Let's get into it. I don't know anything about that. So th- so I'll have to, well, so have the to thing is, okay, I would call myself like I'm totally dialectical when it comes to the royal family. So uh, two things have happened. There was the Prince Andrew thing and he's been kind of chucked out kind of like obviously correctly and then the Meghan Markle thing leaving the royal family. And there's been kind of lots of um, debate as to whether certain people have been treated badly um, by the media and how it all works and uh, somebody coming from an Ameri- America into the into the royal family and sort of not quite understand. You know, um, she uh, Jake talks a lot about the example of uh, rules that you only know in a group and how to break them and things like that. Um, but the royal family... What is that? Can you can you remind me of that? Because I don't, I don't remember the, the whole rules thing for a group. So if I think about like a British boarding school, it's like certain rules are there that you can break and certain ones aren't. And the the one that makes you a member of the group is like the ones you know what how to break. So a teacher might be oh, that's like... Right. Yeah kids smoking and everybody knows that they're smoking but they'll get like suspended if they're caught smoking but like everybody knows that they're smoking or things that are um, allowed theoretically but yeah. everybody knows that if you if you partake of that act it's it's yeah. it's obscene exactly exactly yeah. exactly so one of those things with the royal family is expense so obviously this is the, they kind of one would assume they live in the lap of luxury because they are royal Mm. But it's almost like the whole point is that they have to be allowed to, but disavow that. So um, a certain member of the royal family spent a lot of money on clothes. And it was seen as like, but they have to dress elegantly for their role. But it was seen as a number of things by people in the UK as absolutely hideous, the worst thing you could possibly do. But for somebody who doesn't understand the rules that you can break and you can't break, it would seem like, why are you criticizing this? 
Um, yeah. And so the royals will get a lot of negative press. Yeah. And part of the thing that, and I'm not saying that this is a good thing or a bad, but the way that the royal family works in the UK is it is almost a scapegoat mechanism. It's like a... But it's cynical, like, right? They don't actually yeah, no, believe it's a, that it's like a, their fault or whatever. No, so basically two things, like a Hegelian read, like there's three things that kind of come to mind with the royal family. So first of all, um, you know, think of countries uh, that have great processions of state and great, um, you know, big shows of power and homogeneity and things like that. It's, you know, things like the USSR and North Korea. So kind of like the, well, they're kind of like right-wing, right-wing deviations of the left. But there is something to a kind of like a national cohesion in terms of keeping, you know, a, a group revolving around something greater than themselves. Yeah. And obviously neoliberalism is all about the individual. So that's something that kind of runs counter to it. The other thing is that if you look at it dialectically, it's like a reminder of the absurdity of birth. Like, Mm-hmm. Since God is dead in Western Europe, you know, nobody believes that God selected these people to rule over us. Yeah. But it's a reminder of the obscenity of the unfairness of life and a reminder that we have to be more socialistic and take care of one another. One would hope this is an ideal world. And then thirdly, and I think people don't really understand it from the outside and think like, oh, my gosh, why why is there so much bad press about Princess Diana or Meghan Markle or whatever? Um, Sarah Ferguson was somebody who in her early years got like completely taken apart. Um, it's because she, like British people yeah. feel they have a right to be angry with the royal family and they need it as a vessel of their ressentiment. Well, okay, so, so what do you think would happen a, if that would be taken away, politically speaking? I don't know. I don't know. This is the thing. I don't think you know, people are like either royalist or republican, but I actually don't think either of those positions understands. And I'm not saying I'm like completely neutral on this because I think any structure, and we see this with Midsummer, any structure re- requires a sort of, in a Girardian sense, a scapegoat of some kind. So you can mm-hmm. have healthy scapegoats or unhealthy, you know. So Debord, Guy Debord might say sacrifice is an important way of like symbolizing uh, excess. Yeah. Um, so maybe what but, so maybe what would happen is just like, okay, so you either have this sort of mimetic desire towards needing a scapegoat um, mm-hmm. and but it's all, but but since it's mimetic it's always cynical um mm-hmm. and you know it's just kind of like everybody's aware that it's sort of, sort of like a hive mind mentality to it um mm-hmm. but nonetheless you participate in it um do you think that theoretically if that would be taken away this sort of like cynical scapegoating mechanism um it would it would it would degrade itself down into violence like it did in parasite yeah, no, I I think that's I think that's maybe because maybe that's maybe something that might happen. Because maybe that's um, the mis- and the thing is, that- yeah, maybe that's the mistake in parasite. That's just like they were actually like living inside of of this rich people's house, and even though they didn't mm-hmm. have like you know that it like how we were talking, it, it wasn't this oneness and it's and it wasn't male. There was actually mm-hmm. a big difference between how they lived, and mm-hmm. you know they were not the non they were not non castrated. Um, mm-hmm. But there was like a reason to feel resentment. Um, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think the thing is like, so part of me, like uh, the the Queen and certain members of the British royal family are really good at playing what is required 
so so you have the royal family as this kind of like um projection screen on which to all our rage through the tabloids oh my god look at that tacky dress she wore oh my god she wore this embarrassing hat oh my god she t- so a big one this summer was um certain members of the family being great uh, very into environmentalism and then taking four private jet flights in 10 days you know so that kind of but it's like almost we need those uh, transgressions to be angry and that angry you know like libidinally divests us of this like resentment but um, the Queen is very good at not putting a foot wrong. Obviously, there are certain times that she has. Um, yeah. There are people like Prince William, who's very... But it's like, I don't know whether... I'm not saying either one is better or worse. But mm. it's interesting, like, if you don't transgress in that position of the person onto which... Of the group onto which all of society's resentments are projected, then change doesn't happen either. Yeah. Um, as in, no one overthrows. Them. But it, I, I actually, you know, I kind of like you know, the idea of this like stayed. They don't get to have an opinion. They don't get to say anything political. They don't get to like do anything. They don't get to spend money. They don't get to. They basically open a swimming pool in Grimsby, and that's their job. Yeah. It's kind of. I'm kind of all right with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as yeah, a yeah. sort of like because that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. But then I don't know whether that means that social change doesn't happen. I haven't really thought about it. But I just think it's interesting that. I don't think it's quite, oh, these powerful people that we need to overthrow. Oh, this is tradition. We like it. Like, I think it's, there's actually a sort of like deeper dialectical psychic structure at play with the royal family, basically. Yeah. Well, I just think that, um, okay, so scapegoating is political repression. And I think that's maybe like Mm -hmm. the missing link between Girard and Freud. It's that... Uh, interesting interesting well yeah i mean it's that's where tribal sort of like behavior comes from it's Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. you you're not willing to be self-critical of your own tribe so you need the scapegoat to be able to look away from it um yeah so yeah i i would be so maybe mm -hmm. the question is like actually we do want the state royal family that is there symbolically but does nothing so we don't waste any of our libidinal energy criticizing them and we turn our resentment into actual yeah political change yeah i mean i don't know yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that would actually happen but yeah, something would happen. Yeah. <laughs> something different would happen yeah, 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 yeah interesting yeah. interesting um and obviously like through the 20th century the, the especially when the queen current queen came to power that like was a you know marked change in the role of the royal family and they adapt but yeah, I don't know whether like it'll be interesting to see like with in terms of um, what is going on with that symbolic structure within society and what is actually happening material um, politically. Like if there's any kind of uh, link between those things, you know, action on one end and action on the other. I don't know. But as my point being is like I'm very kind of like um, ambivalent. I think the issues, yeah, yeah, are elsewhere basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, um, well, the thing about it is that. It's almost like the royal family is it's like non-political, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's not. I like, mean, it's not like parliament. It's uh, no, it's it's symbolic. I mean, it has a political function, ideological political function, but mm-hmm. it's not. I don't. I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but to me, it seems like it's not so politically sort of like direct, um, in mm-hmm. like policy-wise, I guess. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I, I think like different members represent different political positions. But yeah, no, it's so, it's so, um, 
it's so impossible to know because everything is kept under wraps. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's... Um, or at least the public sort of the function is maybe ideological. What do, you, what do you think about the whole thing of people saying, oh, if you if it's not political, it's political? If it's not political, it's political. If well, like if you if you don't have a political opinion, then you are political, you know. That you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that's true? Well, no. I would say that if you're not political, you're ideological. Because um, mm-hmm. somebody that is that's not interesting. Yeah. Somebody that's not interested in politics. Um, it's not, it's not going to affect how politics work except f- through an absence, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you are sort of like affecting how ideology works and like the way that you relate to people. And yet if you talk mm-hmm. and if you're talking about politics with other people, um, there's an, you always have an ideological position and you always ideologically justify your absence from the political sphere. Um yeah, go for it. Do you think, like, psych, like the cure, psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic cure, can at least, because obviously, like, we're always human and in the world, but do you think it can at least, like, um, in in being aware of one's ideological position that, like, heightens the, st- uh, sorry, heightens, like, lessens the sting of it, or one can overcome an ideological position through the cure? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Not sure. I kind of think I think maybe I think as in like let's say the same thing about the um, the hypochondriac with cancer it's like the ideological mm. position is that you are hypochondriac but you still have cancer yeah. I don't know maybe maybe like psychoanalysis allows you to go from the ideological to the political so let's say in terms of the, the political would be like being able to engage with the treatment and do it properly and be able to like um take steps rational steps to deal with it mm-hmm. even uh, in the face of the fact that that might not work and the ideological yeah. position would be the hypochondriac position about it i don't know i don't know maybe i'm just talking gobbledygook <laughs> no, I, I just also think that there's something dignified about continuing to believe that there can be political change even yeah. if it's just so corrupt and it's so mm-hmm. like e- even if like there's a lot of politicians that are in it for the money or it's just like they're they're in it for cynical reasons um mm-hmm. i don't know there's a there's some there's a sort of dignity in the fidelity to it that i think it's it's like yeah. admirable uh, especially if you are a politician uh and and amidst like a bunch of fucking like creeps you know that are just there for well they're not there for dignified reasons and but i don't yeah. know there's something about just like not giving up on it that is like interesting to mm-hmm. me yeah no i i was actually thinking earlier today that you know talking about so again with the maybe overcoming like toxic ideology allows us to like enter into the political realm or the public sphere and that woke ideology is like a barrier to actual political change yeah and i was sort of thinking like talking about the 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 cancer analogy that like just seeing sort of some responses to the elizabeth warren thing that like to me the woke ideology is the same as like people treating cancer if you have like cancer with herbal medicine yeah you know, it's like, okay, well, there's an element of truth in what you're saying. And I'm sure like taking more vitamin C is good and taking this herb will help you relax and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But you're basically disavowing what the real problem is. 
like you might you have herbal going for the herbal cure you might be like i hate doctors but i see on my scan i've got cancer so you admit there's a problem mm -hmm. but you treat it and you go about rationalizing it and you have this kind of like totalizing vision of how it functions you know i'm having been quite into herbal medicine myself i know yeah. how it goes but like you holistic know, there's, shit uh, or whatever. Holistic shit like does very much like rely on sort of to totalizing narratives that are basically based on a kernel of truth. Yeah. Um, but that like the scientific method allows the messiness and the contradiction to arise. Yeah. So so like the herbal medicine papers over the contradiction, and yeah. the woke ideology papers over the contradiction, but the political or the cancer is the contradiction. Yeah. 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 That needs to be faced. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know if the whole. <laughs> do you think that maybe the whole uh, uh, English thing with the with the royal family is like perverse, rather than like properly hysteric and like trying to get at what is the core? Yeah, probably. Is. I mean, I don't. I, I'm not saying like the royal family is good or anything like that. No, um, no, I know, but just like yeah, the way that um, the way that it functions it could for be people. Perverse. It could be perverse. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there, there is something about like the the. Um, pleasure that is got in in criticizing them and discussing them and surmising what's going on behind closed doors and it's funny almost you know the the I think there was less libidinal investment in uh, Prince Andrew's transgressions because he was just universally obviously wrong and just like get out whereas when it's a bit more kind of nuanced and yeah. well yeah the way it, both good and bad it gets much more juicy I don't know yeah well the way that I say perverse is because okay so I Maybe the scapegoat thing that we're talking about it, mm -hmm. is not really... Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Maybe, no, maybe it's yeah. not really that serious. And maybe people don't mm -hmm. actually believe that it's like a, like, a, like a proper scapegoat. So maybe it's just a mm -hmm. radical act of bypassing that necessity for a scapegoat. And it's just like, it's yeah. kind of made fun of. And really it's perverse because yeah. it's trying to get to the... To, you know, to, to question what is beyond the function of the scapegoat. Uh, which is more yeah. political. So when a lot, where a lot of yeah. people just kind of stay stuck in the scapegoat mechanism, like English people are just kind of perverse and immediately take it out of the way, you know. That's really interesting, actually, because um, obviously, like in terms of like libidinal organization, the perverse subject, you know, things that things are locked in objects, like yeah. an actual object. Um, so yeah, maybe the royal family, all those like tea towels and doilies and things like you know and the carriages that's the, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. The, like, <laughs> that's an interesting one i mean i haven't thought about it that much but i just the only the only thing that i find interesting is like maybe taking kind of a hegelian reading and it's it's a di like yeah there's a dialectic at play as there is with everything yeah yeah um but i was just thinking um just in terms of like obviously she just joke about the hippie parent and the conservative parent and just uh, just as like say uh as an example of how uh, neoliberalism or liberalism, but I think that the same thing, is not necessarily better than yeah. some different form of societal structure like having a royal family. Um, yeah. You know, so for Zizek, the joke goes that the conservative parent will say, um, you know, you have to go to your, see your grandma in the old nursing home this weekend and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. You have to go. You don't have a choice. Whereas the hip, hippie or liberal parent will say, oh, Granny Margaret would really love it if you would go and visit her <laughs> this weekend. But you don't so have basically to. it's you have to desire. You have to, des yeah, you have to desire mm -hmm. to do the thing you don't want. Whereas, um, yeah, 
So a different societal structures potentially like we with well, the other thing is that we are allowed to hate quote unquote uh, well let's say parasitism as an example like within neoliberalism we can't hate our quote unquote betters you know the 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 woke um humanitarian princess for example yeah. you know she is she has reached her social position because she's a good person. She's done all these good things and she's earned it. She's talented, which capitalism will have us believe that, you know, those who are more talented will rise to the top. It's a free free market or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in the old structures, and I'm not saying they're better, it's just different. One could at least hate one's quote unquote betters. And yeah. I think that's what I'm getting at with the royal family. It's like, at least you can overtly hate those who are born into a position of privilege. Whereas in our society in the new mode of cultural capital you can't you have to you're not allowed to dislike them and if you do dislike them it might be because you have certain um prejudices against quotes women for example might be a prejudice that you have or you don't like yeah. her because she's a woman it's yeah. like, well no i don't like her because she's rich you know? <laughs> yes yeah, so it's like it, it yeah. um hate is out of the question because it immediately gets mm-hmm. routed into a problem of identity, I guess. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And this is the thing with all of the, the woke stuff on why it allows for a disavowal of class. Class, you know, requires a sort of resent, like a legitimate resentment to bubble up for things to change. Yeah. And now, yeah, we have um, people, uh, people justify their political or their social standing or capital accumulation mm-hmm. through their moral goodness so you have the pride flag on the banks and therefore one cannot criticize them yeah whereas both can be true at the same time that they have a pride flag and they're also like completely stealing money from poor people yeah yeah, yeah. if they're a bank yeah pretty interesting should we um anyways i think we have like 10 10 minutes should we go to midsummer yeah so what do you think about um midsummer okay so i'm pretty fucking pissed that it just didn't get nominated for anything in the Oscars I mean who gives a shit about the yeah. Oscars anyway Todd I'm Todd right. McGowan was talking about in, in one theory is just like the greatest films and I mean I would I'm not sure that he would think that it's like a great film or whatever but he was, he was saying that the greatest films like the ones that really sort of uh, forms form culture are the ones that mm-hmm. can't be integrated into sort of like yeah. the popular sphere like yeah like yeah. on the oscars yeah. and i and i completely agree with him yeah um yeah, absolutely absolutely and the thing is it's you know it's the, the age-old thing of like moby dick only sold like four copies in <laughs> the author's lifetime did you I'm read not saying that like, that's a great thing no but it's it's a kind of a true thing you know he went to he he died without having it, you know if if something with within capitalism like t- like justifies ideology and it has a sort of heartwarming message mm-hmm. or it, it is one of these like release valves for the contradiction. Yeah. It's more likely to make a lot of money. Although I'm not sure that's like, there have been examples like Joker and stuff that I think, although you didn't really like it. Yeah. They just be the rule. But I think in general, like things that are new, things that are challenging, things that shape culture eventually, mm-hmm. it's like something that the makers have to live with. Yeah. I mean, the, the, way, the reason why they shape culture in the first place is because it's considered sort of like a residue. And I think that, yeah, really yeah. Midsommar ends up being like sort of the residue of, of the Oscars or outside, completely mm-hmm. outside of its container. Um, but I thought, I don't know. I just think that if there's, if there's a millennial that is a, an absolute genius, I think it's him. And, and, and I just 
I think it's interesting that he only he's only made two films, but I just don't see him like making. He's made a lot of shorts. Yeah, he's made a lot of shorts. I haven't seen. They were quite, um, like significant. Yeah. Did you see the the what's what's wrong? There's something. Yeah. There's something about the well, Johnsons yeah. or something. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty, pretty intense. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, I mean, I have to say, I wasn't as much of a fan of this. Yeah. Um, but I have like I'm not a horror person, but there are certain theoretical things that I think are interesting. Yeah. That maybe I didn't really like the plot, but that's a different issue. Yeah. But I think there are some interesting things at play. So yeah. do you want to get into a few ideas that you had about it? Well, obviously, I think the first one is how it gets right. Uh, the scapegoat mechanism, obviously, it's a primitive society and all primitive societies, like the, the, the mechanism is like very clear. So you have sacrifice yeah. as a means of social cohesion. And this is obviously like a European primitive society. Um, but the thing that I and, you know, just to, to reiterate the point, like, we might be horrified at the, um, and that, you know, it is a horror film at the society in um, Midsummer, but mm -hmm. we have just as many systems of scapegoating, but they're just more disavowed under neoliberalism, yeah. basically. So we appear to be free, but actually this is not the case. Um, but my main area of interest is actually in relation to Freud um, and mourning and melancholia which is basically the difference between like healthy grief and depression. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually I think the first 15 minutes of this film I well, I think were like the best first 15 minutes I've seen in many a year, but I don't think it like narratively succeeded. Um mm -hmm. later on, um, yeah. I was a bit, Yeah, yeah. But um I, yeah, I, thought, I do I just think thought that it was interesting. So I just thought it was interesting how um identity can sort of become duped by the excess or the sort of weird uh like corners of culture it doesn't or folk or folklore um mm -hmm. so eventually i think that if you if you get into those sort of like rituals of culture um identity becomes sort of like taken to such an extreme that it becomes obscene and i think that's what happens mm -hmm. with uh with with this girl and it's just like you know the the relationship becomes like so inflated and dramatic that it becomes incorporated into like sort the sort of rituals that they have and because apparently it's just something that happens like every what is it like 20 years or something like that i don't even remember mm -hmm. but yeah it's just like this thing that repeats itself and i think it's like the failure of the individual within a community and that but it's like somehow like celebrated in the, in the movie and i thought just, i don't know i thought it was interesting that's quite interesting actually yeah and i'm turning it like covering in flowers because i think the for me the thing is is the girl has like a poor relational development with the relationship of her parents like she obviously comes from a very messed up family mm -hmm. and in terms of depression and how like freud defines it in morning melancholia is so when you lose a lost object uh, uh, like an object of desire when you're grieving it's like a legitimate loss and you feel the loss and you can then feel it deeply and move on and that's mourning yeah. or grief but melancholia or depression happens when the individual And they might have had like a poor relational development with their parents. So they don't feel loved by their parents. And so when the an object of desire becomes like something that they feel needs to give them 
something reciprocally. Mm-hmm. So it might be a new relationship. And when they don't feel it, there's a sort of a disavowed anger towards the parents who kind of who are symbolic of that primary relationship, which developed this relational tendency. And the anger becomes internalized. And so that's how you get depressed. Like you can't, you basically hate yourself. You have suicidal ideation, which is basically like an internalized desire to murder your parents because it's more taboo to you know, yeah. <laughs> feel that than to actually feel it on yourself or that you don't feel like you're lo- lovable enough. So an example might be a woman in a relationship who becomes like really naggy and annoying, which is like her in the um, in the film because she doesn't feel like she is getting from her object of desire, who is the, I don't know what his act, the actor's called, the her partner. Um, and so she then ends up driving him away, but she feels desperately unloved by him. That's why she's so angry. Yeah. But she kind of externalizes the anger of depression. But obviously the issue isn't like enacting the anger outside or in yourself. It's like over un- understanding that your parents were split subjects as well and so fucked up, like every parent fucks up. Yeah. Um, so well, she basically is like a depressed subject who then like externalizes her anger on that guy. Or like through the parents. But, but it's interesting that you're talking about the parents because I think that mm-hmm. the community sort of works as a sort of parental figure. And yeah. she sort of adapts adapts herself to this community that it's not actually, it's not mm-hmm. even like, it's not even, I think it's interesting that it's not even like her own culture but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like parental function can still work f- with anybody because it's sort of like yeah. there's a sort of modular uh, nature to the way that 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 our psyche works, where it doesn't yeah. matter if it's biological. Mm-hmm. It only matters mm-hmm. that the function can like the two functions can like or the two parts can mesh together in a psychological way that works uh, yeah, through passion absolutely. and like or just like. Uh, yeah depression in the way that you were talking about it yeah and it's funny because actually it was only when i was reading morning and melancholia that i was like actually the film is kind of more genius than i had originally thought because i mean i do expect to kind of see a certain narrative like thing at play and obviously the clever thing that's very difficult when you're writing a story is like it is a challenge for each story that's written you have a set of ideas mm-hmm. and you have to somehow break the mold of this narrative structure which is like a, a mythological or you know it's a it's a technology that we have and every new idea kind of changes that in a certain way and you sort of have to adapt or break it or do something wrong in order to do something new yeah um but you still have to kind of like work within those parameters and i was like oh, i'm not sure if it did that well but actually because the, the thing for me was like why is she why is she murdering this guy what has he done wrong he was poisoned by these you know it wasn't his fault that he's left with a woman it was the but actually in terms of just the function of how anger functions in relation to the depressed subject yeah like it kind of works it does and there's like a well there's a a, it's there's there's the ending is sort of cathartic isn't it it's just like Mm -hmm. it's there's like this release and it's like relaxing Mm -hmm. almost uh yeah but uh, yeah i I just thought it was so perverse but i still think it's unhealthy oh yeah definitely (laughs) that's why it's relaxing because it's it's basically enjoyment but um no i just think that it's it's kind of really scary and kind of perverse how yeah. they present this sort of release or this enjoyment the community presents the release that is enjoyment as a gift uh, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know i just thought that was very interesting and i don't think it's something that yeah. only happens in 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 that movie you know i think it happens all yeah. the time and i maybe yeah. that's what we were talking about the law which is like 
something that maybe is prohibited, but you know ways in which you can get around that prohibition mm-hmm. so that you can still partake mm-hmm. in it. And that itself is part of the of of the law, you know, or yeah. Yeah. And talking about like kind of community and society, I mean, that's something that's definitely be, like um, capitalism first, you know, it wants to individualize us all. So it first breaks down community, then it breaks down family and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And actually, we're still neurotic beings who are kind of require all these sort of structures, and we all feel kind of at a loss in our contemporary society. But I guess the question is, like looking at the midsummer society, and the royal family, and then like the class system in Korea that's depicted in Paris, like, like I don't, they're all bad. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But like, I think capitalism will have us believe that like, any structure is bad. Um, and it's fu- I do sort of feel like there's an element of academia that has just been the weapon of, of neoliberalism um, yeah. in that it's like it's like the 68 thing, just overcome repression. But it just doesn't work like that. We have to just find new forms of community mm-hmm. that are more healthy, but we can't overcome repression and we can't overcome systems and we can't overcome community. Yeah. Because if you, yeah, if you overcome those and you overcome community and like 68 is... The f- like one of the floodgates to what well, is like an ideological floodgate to um to neoliberalism yeah i had a thought yesterday um, about 68 and just like uh mm-hmm. culture of narcissism or just hedonism in general and it's that isn't it isn't it so obvious that the sort of like excess of desire or sorry enjoyment that comes from like movements like 68 or communities that do that like hippie communes or whatever um isn't it so obvious that it's just death drive because the body sort of mm-hmm. decays and can't keep up with the sort of like nece- or desire for etern- eternal hedonism that the mind has. So it's just like repeating this loop of just enjoyment that never actually reaches its apotheosis. But the body yeah. can't keep up and it decays. And I mean, I sent you <laughs> I sent you uh, a, a, a small excerpt from... Um, the element of particles or it's called atomized mm-hmm. as well from Welbeck. And it's just like talking mm-hmm. about like this, these people from um, the, the, the hippie communes or whatever. It's just like their bodies became old and they didn't even know what to do with their lives. And because of this like excessive enjoyment that they were pursuing, uh, they didn't have families anymore. Um, they yeah. didn't have anything. I mean, actually. It, it is like the utopian thing. Utopia doesn't exist. And like utopia, if it did exist, would be a return to the womb slash team. Yeah. And it is funny, like there's a sort of a chronological dialectic, the like obsession with youth. Mm-hmm. The only reason why youth is prized is because of an inevitable death. Yeah. But because it's, of its finitude. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's just like, yeah, the, the 68 is the ultimate non-materialist act. You know, because like mm-hmm. it, the bottom line, it really is material reality. And I think that listening to it's going to sound super liberal, but I mean, it literally the opposite way is just like listening to the body and knowing the mm-hmm. limits of the body should also denote a sort of limit in in for death drive. You know, no, I think the body, I think like I think I think. Uh, yeah, no, with this, I think I think listening to the body is like so important. Yeah. But this, I guess the thing is like, yeah, that anything can be turned to its dumb end in some other way. Yeah. But I remember um, I told you about this guy that was just like, <laughs> that wanted to fuck his sister. And he was yeah. like, and I was just like, you should stop. And he thought it was a religious thing. It's just like, oh, you know, I can't do it. Why? Because of Christian values. And I'm like, no, just like, you're going to get erectile dysfunction if you keep on going <laughs> like this. 
Yeah, yeah you're going to like fuck yourself up immensely. But um, so what do you think like a, a healthy, let's say, let's say if she had gone to, so this terrible thing had happened. She she had this relationship structure from her dysfunctional family and she was like over proximal to the, you know, I thought it was just really, it was such the desperate girlfriend, you know. Yeah. And I guess... Um, and that, you know, that is what kind of what happens. You know, we're talking about seduction another time. Mm-hmm. And it's like the withholding and sort of like an obsessive slash man yeah. might find that more exciting and that the overproximal kind of nagging woman is what drives, you know, you know, there's a sort of like a give and take or, um, yeah, you know, the idea of you only want, you can't have, say, something that's overproximal or like a desperate lover. You just be like, oh, go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. But she obviously feels like she's not loved by the guy, and that's kind of correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- let's say she went to a psychoanalytic retreat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had she underwent like a correct reading of her psychic structure. How do you think the film would end instead? Well, I just think that it's very, very easy to to confuse death drive and being in love. Um, mm-hmm. Because one of them is just like admitting the imperfection of love and being okay with it, and embracing mm-hmm. that but the other one death drive is just like um the tendency to create loops of self-sabotage and i think that that happens mm-hmm. as well uh, in in romance but i i think it's it's kind of difficult to realize like oh is this is this relationship true love but you know because it's harmful at the same time that it's like blissful and incredibly like satisfying and there's just like passion in it but there's this mm-hmm. other side where it's just like maybe you love being like in pain and maybe you love like mm-hmm. that, you know, like a lot of like relationships are kind of on and off. It's difficult to know like if if that's what creates the romance or if that's what creates the pleasure through death drive. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think that's maybe a different film. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah no, I call it. It's all so complicated. But it's true. I think like it's interesting how I think there's two like different readings that you could make in a psychoanalytic way of someone like the main character and kind of going back, like the abused woman going back to the husband, it's like both you have the thing of you you desperately want your object of desire, of desire to, to love you, but also, yeah, it's the same thing. You're re- repeating this um, unconsciously, this mechanism where you feel maybe by your parents you weren't loved enough and you're kind of therefore repeating that not being loved. So it's like a, there's a, like a, dyna- a dynamic between those two poles of like, wanting to be loved and not getting it and it's it all kind of like fits into the same model basically yeah i wonder if it's just like do you love the person or do you love the pain that this person causes you uh and i think that maybe i don't know i think with with her it was more like a pain thing and that's why i think it could be both Uh uh-huh because like let's say her parents caused her pain and that's why yeah Yeah. hello can you hear me yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) I was gonna say it could be it could be both because uh, her parents, her original template of a love relationship, if she felt that they treated her badly, then that's the lost object again, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the primary caregiver. Um, I was gonna say one other thing about her. Yeah, what would be a healthy healthy result? She would just um, be able to break up with him because he treats her badly and find someone who actually likes her. Yeah. But I guess the thing, you know, the idea, I think the other thing was about the idea of anger. Um, and I think a lot of people in contemporary society feel depressed and it's kind of like an internalized anger. And then obviously one has outbursts of anger at other people. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe 
by understanding that our parents were all split subjects and that the other is always a split subject. Maybe we can like be angry less. Yeah. That's pretty great. I like I don't that. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we Sorry. end it on that note? Let's end it on that note. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for listening and until next time. Bye. Bye.